Welcome to the Ether. Today is Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. Today on the Ether, a CFI space, Cadena Eco Team with Paul and Francesco. Let's take a listen. Hello, everybody. We'll wait for folks to make their way in. Uh, in the meantime, uh, terraspaces.org is recording. Uh, if you guys uh, enjoy the fact that they're kind of producing content and recording, uh, please feel free to donate to them since uh, it does take quite a bit of work um, recording and releasing these things. Um, we'll give a couple of minutes to, for folks to come up. Uh, Kadena, who's behind your mic today? Hey, Safi. Thanks for having me tonight. Yeah, good to catch up with you guys. Let me make sure we have everybody up here that's needed. It's interesting how um, when, the, when the prices in the market are down, you know, all the, the media focus, Twitter focus, it's like immediately flips a switch to um, the crypto's a, span, a scam narrative, which is really quite funny. Um, <laughs> it's like it never fails, which is really interesting. Um, it's so much like uh, media market manipulation. It's obnoxious, really. But anyway, <laughs> let me uh, see here. Francesco, are you there? It's trying to get you up here. Uh, I think he's the one with the FMELP, right? Yeah, there he is. Okay. Oh, there you are. Okay, great. Sorry, new phone. Have to set up all the permissions. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Um, yeah. I, so we'll uh, hopefully uh, folks will kind of trickle on in here. Um, we were basically having a, a previous discussion about just like the overall direction of Cadena and. Um, I think uh, you guys are uh, perfectly qualified to like provide some opinions on um, where things are going. You know, I um, I've been having some conversations with a variety of um, projects lately with different types of technology. Um, there, you know, have been blockchains built with um, various like sharding techniques. There have been um, you know, some of the more uh, traditional uh, proof of work blockchains built, there have been, you know, plenty of proof of stake um, systems, um, you know, put out in the market. Um, and uh, some of the, uh, oh, and also some of the like um, digital ledger technology DAG type um, sort of projects out there too, like the Constellation or a header, a hash graph, things like that. Um, so I've been kind of looking at these various projects from, you know, the various technical merits and perhaps maybe very specific use cases of them. And I think we could probably get into a little bit later, maybe uh, some of the vision for what kind of use cases might be um, deployed on, on Cadena. 
and perhaps some of the features of the particular blockchain that make it um, uh, suitable for certain styles of project, perhaps. Um, the other angle I was kind of looking at with a lot of different projects was just like the idea of DeFi and what are the types of a financial projects that end up being uh, meaningful and ultimately um, non-finance related projects, um, real world uh, um, sorts of projects, both either online or offline that might make their way to the blockchain. Um, Cadena has um, some interesting sort of projects that had launched on some of the DEXs. Uh, I talked to the folks at Timpy who were basically working on a, a search system um, that, um, you know, where their sort of coin is um, traded on the Cadena network. Um, there was DocuShield, I think it's called DocuShield, or DocuSign, DocuShield, <laughs> um, which uh, is looking at document storage. And um, so there's, there's like just a variety of uh, both internet native and non-native projects. And I, I think it'd be interesting to go into you guys' opinions on like the types of projects you think long-term will be the real world suitable use cases for blockchain or in Cadena in particular. Um, but uh, kind of go down the rabbit hole on some of these things a little bit. I think when, when we're in a bear market, basically, you know, people uh, kind of start to question what they're doing, right? Their, their, their concerns are, wait a minute, wait, the price action seems to indicate something about uh, projects. And I, and I would warn people that, um, unfortunately, uh, price action, whatever that, whatever that is, does not necessarily indicate uh, automatically the quality of um, projects in the, um, in the space necessarily. You can have some that are, are flying high that, you know, uh, uh, crash and do very badly. You have others that are doing a great job and, and who are undervalued in the market. So I wouldn't necessarily use that as a referendum. Um, oh, uh, before we get started, I also, uh, full disclosure, uh, I do have some uh, KDA um, coins. I am not a miner. So, um, you know, that just, just out there for people's, um, like, knowledge. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Paul, uh, what, what are your thoughts on kind of like the future of Kaden at this point? Uh, Sefi, thanks again for having me. I'm Paul Sue, Chief Investment and Innovation Officer at Kadena. I, I am also CEO and founder of Dexonic, a Web3 native pre-seed, seed stage venture fund, uh, involved, I, I, investing in blockchain for the billion. So when, when you mention uh, the agenda topics around use cases, this is our investment thesis at Dexonic. It's also an area of big focus of ours at Kadena. Uh, you know, I'd love to lead off by saying bear markets are the best time for innovation. These are the times that iconic uh, businesses are built. It's when talent frees up to go build that innovation. It's where capital sector rotation happens and finds that talent. It's what we're doing at Dexonic and Cadena. And when you combine talent and capital, that's when you see major uh, innovative companies being built. Yeah, great points. Um, Francesco, you want to introduce yourself? Did I say your name correctly, by the, by the way? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on, first of all. I really appreciate the time. 
Uh, yeah, so I'm Francesco, uh, CEO of Cadena Eco, um, the ecosystem growth company for Cadena. Um, we have five major areas of focus to grow the ecosystem. Uh, the first is a grants program uh, that we announced uh, for $100 million worth of grants going out to builders. Uh, we siphoned off 10% of that for everyone that was affected by uh, the events that went that unfolded in the past couple of weeks. Um, also an R&D department to help us push forward uh, usability, UX, uh, and propel Cadena to mainstream adoption. An accelerator that you can think of um, similar to Y Combinator style uh, of bringing startups to market. Uh, an incubator where we'll focus on uh, building projects from the ground up. Uh, and lastly, an ecosystem fund uh, to put bigger checks uh, into winners that go through all these processes. Um, so yeah, just a quick primer on Cadena as well for all the new listeners coming in. Um, Cadena is you know, unique in the blockchain space. Uh, we're one of the few that have built our entire architecture, both uh, the blockchain technology itself and the smart contract language from the ground up. Uh, we've done this to solve all the major pain points uh, that existed back then and still now uh, with blockchains when it relates to one, scalability, and two, uh, writing safe, easy to write, and easy to read smart contract code. Cadena uh, is the only layer one that's innovating on proof of work. Uh, we've managed to scale that infinitely with the chain web algorithm. Um, and the way that that works is that in Cadena, there's more than one chain running at the same time, uh, and they're all linked to each other cryptographically. We started out with 10. We scaled that up to 20 in production in 2020, um, and we've tested this up to hundreds of thousands of chains. Um, and what's the context for that? The context is that you can think of each chain in the Cadena chain web algorithm as an Ethereum proof of work chain is today. So very similar attributes to that. So we started out with 10 times the amount of throughput, scaled it up to 20, and can now go to hundreds of times the throughput of Ethereum. Uh, and why is this important? It's important because, um, you know, for gas fees to stay low, uh, which means, you know, scalability is actually happening, the base layer does ultimately need to scale. Because, you know, so we see a lot of systems going to proof of stake uh, but they haven't fundamentally changed the architecture of you know, what's behind something like Ethereum because it's still sort of a single chain, um, it's a single chain environment where uh, you know, gas fees become a function of supply and demand. Uh, so if only you know, 1,000 transactions can fit into a block, the second that there's demand for 100,000 transactions, uh, those gas fees go up accordingly. Uh, and we've seen this manifest itself in Binance Smart Chain some months ago, uh, even Avalanche, where if you just have a single chain architecture, despite if you're proof of work or proof of stake, that doesn't actually solve any scalability problems. Um, so, yeah, that's a quick primer on Cadena. Yeah, um, one um, point of confusion for me has been understanding so when you have this chain web system, so you have currently 20 chains running, um, wouldn't the security of an individual chain from a, from a perspective of mining and security, uh, wouldn't any individual chain become uh, less secure if the number of miners on a particular chain is, say, insufficient? And how do, how do you solve for that problem? So let's say you go to 100 chains. Would you need like five times as many miners as there are now? Or 
So no, absolutely How not. Does that so work? yeah, so like the chain web algorithm precisely uh, solves for all these things that you're saying. It's actually the the amazing thing, and that it becomes more secure and more green as we scale the number of chains up, because the amount of hash power that needs to go in for mining stays constant. Uh, and the magic there is that we're always optimizing for this problem in graph theory called the degree diameter problem, which is how we connect the chains together. Um, so basically, uh, the whole, you know, they're all independent chains, but they reference each other in the blocks. So you actually have to mine all the chains together and the system advances together. Um, and there's absolutely no risk of some chain falling behind, et cetera, because, you know, game theoretically, that's uh, sort of the chain that would need all the mining and all the hash power goes to that chain to unblock the rest of the blocks um, and the rest of the network. Um, so it's so, actually so there's a there's a natural redirecting process to the weakest chain. Maybe so if any Is chain that, gets left right? behind, if any chain gets left behind, um, all the hash power goes to that chain because that's mining that one block, then unblocks all the other blocks to be mined. Okay, because um, the network so, needs to advance together, right? Yeah, because it has to advance together. I and so, and and the caveat there is that um, this type of architecture is actually only possible with proof of work, uh, because proof of work is a fully open system. Whilst in something like proof of stake, you could have you know a problem of a validator squatting on a particular chain or something like that. So you know, in a, with the similar with the same architecture, but with proof of stake instead you actually decrease security as you scale up the chain. But with proof of work, instead, you increase it. And that's simply because proof of work is open and non-interactive. Anyone in the world could spin up a computer and mine a block on Kadena. It's not constrained by owning tokens or having stake in a network like proof of stake. Understood. Now, um, like while we're on this topic of mining, um, uh, I was doing... So right now, what is the best... Um, way to discover information about how to become a miner on the network if I choose to do so. Um, is that going through the primary website or do you guys have like some examples of some resources that are even better um, to get into those kind of details? Like, for example, the question I just asked, um, I, I'm not sure if it's one of those answers that's really front and center. Um, and obvious to me when I'm like starting mining. So maybe point, maybe you guys can point some resources for people that, for research purposes. Yeah. So, so mining Kadena um, is very straightforward. Uh, all you need is the hardware that does so. Uh, we're now in the ASIC era of mining, and there's a couple manufacturers out there. Um, we're not associated with them, so I'm not sure what the latest is on selling their hardware, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but basically, you just turn on your machine put in your address and point into the node uh, or at a pool or whatever it may be. Um, and then you'll start earning coins. Um, so that's really all you need to do. It's actually one of the simplest processes that you could think of. Uh, okay. And so the other cool part, just to, yeah. So the other cool part of this is that um, we're the only network out there that's proof of work where decentralized mining is possible. And we actually have um, a company that we gave a grant to that we're going to announce soon. Uh, that is working on precisely this. Uh, so, you know, one of the, you know, one of the drawbacks that people talk about proof of work is that, uh, you know, you need to rely on mining pools in order to get steady income uh, and not be exposed to variance. But in, in the chain web world where there's uh, many, many chains and there's going to be even more in the future, 
Um, it means that you could actually solo mine um, and get rewards with the same variance that you would as a pool. Uh, so just to take a step back there, it's like, you know, theoretically in a, in a single chain uh, mining environment, you would uh, want to use a pool because you would get the same rewards in terms of, uh, you know, raw crypto over time, because that's just where the probability is going. But your variance would be extremely high, which is if you have to pay operating costs, electricity, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, it starts to make no sense and you'd rather pay that one or 2% fee. But in something like Cadena, we're seeing that, A, the rewards are the same or not better as um, centralized mining pools. And it totally gets rid of this variance issues of how often you're winning a block. Uh, so that's something that yeah. we're also super, super excited about. Yeah, I neither like the pool centralization of Bitcoin, nor do I like the the idea that there's kind of this um, middleman entity between myself and the network, right? Like, yeah, so this is interesting. Now, you, how is this problem being solved? Is there a, um, maybe describe that briefly. So, yeah, so right now with pools, it means that, um, you know, it's, the centralization concern with pools is very similar to staking pools, except it's worse in staking pools because you have to lock up your tokens for a certain amount of time. Uh, whilst if it's your own hardware, you could just change the address of where you're mining to. Uh, but anyway, so basically, like, it comes down to sort of mat mathematical principle variance, right? Like, on average, uh, you know, over a year, you're going to make the same rewards, right? Because basically, you make the rewards that the rewards that you make is what your hash power is divided by uh, the total hash power of the network uh, times whatever the rewards are going to be in the long term. Um, so that means that in a single chain environment, that variance is going to be extremely high. So it means that you may only win a block once a year or once every two years. And that's just really bad for your personal accounting because you never know when that's going to happen. It's totally random and probabilistic. Well, something like Cadena, already with 20 chains, your variance there is divided by 20. So instead of, uh, you know, winning a block a year, you're winning several blocks a month. Uh, and that really helps with sort of your personal accounting and how often money is coming to you and all those sorts of things. Because, of course, uh, you know, the amount of money that you're making is also dependent on whatever uh, the coin price is on that given day. So you want to minimize the risk of uh, that being spread over too long at a time. Well, yeah, sure. Uh, it Cash flow is important to any business, basically, is what you're saying. and the predictability of that cash flow is sort of like integral to keeping the 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 lights on <laughs> and uh yeah exactly um, whether it's a business or an individual the concept sure. is the same right yeah sure sure um so uh so really as far as like mining equipment the future of cadena um are are there more uh manufacturers announcing um equipment options because um, obviously getting more miners into more people's hands is is important both to decentralization as well as the strength of the network like where's that going we're seeing lots of new manufacturers pop up um i can't give you too much insight because we're not involved in that process at all sure so, sure but there's uh, been it's all private so yeah so we've had a lot of people reaching our way um asking about manufacturing their own uh hardware um, okay. And also a company in the States too. So it, it tends to be, um, you know, it's happening. The Cadena miners um, have been, you know, some of the most, um, you know, some of the most proficient over the past year or so, let's put it that way. 
Um, so there's definitely a lot of interest out there from multiple manufacturers. Uh, yeah, his, if it starts to make sense. Historically, one of the the concerns for Bitcoin, for example, have been the fact that uh, like the mining devices are all coming from the same place. You know, <laughs> this is kind of uh, or or you know close to the same place. And more recently, like Intel and uh, some other companies have started to you know describe. Uh, new tech for um, uh, sort of developing equipment in the West and things like that. And I still don't know if that implies that that equipment will be made in the West necessarily, but um, there is definitely a manufacturing um, sort of like semi-centralization problem in the proof of workspace. And it'd be interesting to see where Cadena goes in this respect as well. But um, cool. Uh, so yeah, I think that covers kind of like the building out of the network chain web and kind of getting to this mining decentralization and um, on the point of while we're on proof of work, I, I just want to bring up kind of what I've seen in the proof of stake space. Uh, it's interesting. Proof of stake sort of works until it sort of doesn't um, in particularly when it comes to governance. So with the recent um, sort of like um, crash of the tokenomics of the Terra network um, for lack of a better term, one of the side effects that happened was that with a change in the supply of coins in this space, governance became broken and therefore governance of uh, proposals on validators and all of that, uh, I mean, went to hell for lack of a better term. Um, with, with proof of work at the base of Cadena, um, is there anything significant that's going to change now or in the future at the base layer of the protocol that requires some sort of governance? And if so, is that something related to the Cadena coin or what? Like, let's say, for example, some major shift has to happen to the protocol at, at a base layer. Um, how would that take place or would it take place? What's the story there? People forget that the original DAO are miners, right? You know, Cadena is simply... Uh, putting out proposed or whoever wants to can put out proposed changes to sort of upgrades to the network. And then sort of our community needs to come to consensus, right? And people often forget that that's really what decentralization means, right? Uh, people putting their money where their mouth is. And in case their money right now is the investment into a miner and the electricity that goes into it. Um, so, you know, like there are significant, you know, proof of stake protocols were often bootstrapped by selling massive amounts of tokens at early days at very low prices to a very select group of investors. So that means that in the long term, uh, so these invent investors get to have control over the network. And the other thing that I want to clarify is uh, just how often the word decent decentralization gets thrown out there. Um, decentralization, you know, it's such a popular word right now that everyone's using it in every single context. But for me, what it really means is that a network is unstoppable and uncensored. And like, if we compare that to Kadena or Bitcoin today, you know, the government, any entity could decide to brick or blow up all the miners, uh, all the physical hardware mining, uh, the network, uh, but what does that mean? It's like, it doesn't mean that the network's going to stop. It means that me from my laptop could start mining Bitcoin again with an internet connection and eventually the chain is going to restart. 
that's not the case of proof of stake. Say if, hey, all these 10 entities that own the vast majority of the coins get subpoenaed by the U.S. government, guess who owns that proof of stake? Right, right. Yeah, there's, there's so many. Um, uh, yeah, there, there's like, yeah, there's an entire complex discussion about, you know, what is effectively decentralized, certainly. <laughs> and, uh, to me, there's another like definition of decentralization as well. And that is that, you know, in the in the crypto space today, the fact that there are uh, dozens, if not that, you know, hundreds of chains being formed. Um, the more sort of projects there are, that creates a sort of like decentralization of the uh, of the philosophical construct of blockchain as well. So that like when you have millions of them, it's almost impossible to stop that too, which is an interesting kind of side effect. But yeah, there's diff- there's decentralization at different layers and centralization at different sort of choke points for each um potential blockchain what what do you guys think about the problem of like for example uh founder risk like from a centralization decentralization standpoint like for example i'm sure there are certain core developers uh that build or have built the cadena blockchain like what happens if like quote unquote something happens to the group or something like that right like uh what is the mechanism whereby the community takes over or whatever Hey, Safi, just to give you some context on this, um, one of our co-founders, Will, uh, used to be the head of the cryptocurrency technology group at SEC, uh, two jobs before Kadena. Um, so, you know, we've been extremely uh, sort of cautious on this front. Um, and we are a U.S. first company. We're not hiding behind any shell companies or abroad or anything like that we've done everything right and we've done everything us first um and as you can see that you know affects uh marketing or lack thereof that we do around cadena uh and you know at this point we are a network that's controlled by our miners that are all over the world cadena is simply suggesting upgrades to the network that everyone needs to accept Got it. Uh, Paul, uh, any comments? on Yeah, Sefi, if, if you don't mind, if I jump in. Uh, you know, I'm Paul Su. You're, you're talking to Francesco. We're real people. Uh, New York, Chicago, you'll see us at conferences. Uh, we're real people because we stand behind our work and we stand behind our technology. Obviously, you know, if something happens to any of the key members, we have an organization that can, uh, you know, pick up the pieces and move on just like Tim Cook took over for Steve Jobs. Uh, the organization is stronger. Our community is stronger than any one individual. Uh, we are, uh, you know, real identities because we stand behind this work and we stand behind responsible innovation. And because officially the Cadena blockchain is considered a public blockchain, correct? Correct. So the Cadena organization specifically um, at this point. Like, do you guys foresee that over time, the organization has to do sort of less and less as the system sort of like flourishes on its own? Or do you feel like... That is the goal. That is the goal. And we're waiting for, you know, community members to come in and write clients in different languages than Haskell. You know, it's everything is open source. Everyone can contribute. Everyone can propose, uh, you know, and the long-term vision is precisely that. Interesting. So like, so the, the, the group or the company is sort of like just to foster 
the initial growth and then kind of like, you know, everything sprouts wings and flies and does its thing on its own. Um, Paul, uh, maybe you could like, um, you know, I'll, I'll, little on, I'll, on, go ahead. I'll, I'll jump in here, you know, uh, going forward, the continuous innovation will be in the use cases, something you brought up earlier, you know, as the infrastructure solidifies the layer one, uh, you know, consensus mechanism, that technology uh, requires fewer and fewer active core developers, you know, where we will start to uh, invest and innovate, you know, long-term is in Kadena Eco. And, and how do we think about bringing these use cases to the billions? How do we impact both online and offline uh, value proposition for, for mainstream users? On that note, maybe you can kind of like describe mm, some of the uh, maybe up and coming projects or some of the things that are happening in that in that regard um, are the kinds of use cases that you're seeing for blockchain these projects are making use of. Absolutely. I'll, I'll let Francesco talk specifically about Cadena uh, at, you know, in the VC market in general. Uh, there's a lot of excitement today around gaming and metaverse. You know, the, there's a shift away from uh, uh, DeFi. Uh, the, there's a shift away from JPEG NFTs to next generation NFTs, how NFTs are composable units and assets for gaming and for the metaverse. So uh, externally, we're seeing tremendous early stage activity in, you know, uh, blockchain that uh, creates community excitement, community engagement, you know, new ways to uh, enable value transfer and governance through these digital assets uh, that, that generally gets manifested in the context of gaming, gaming worlds, and metaverses. Uh, it, it's, it's a great time to be building in this area and seeing all the ideas flourish. Yeah, I've seen a mix of like very, very uh, promising projects to a mix of things that are just straight up <laughs> like vaporware nonsense, like we used to see like in the 90s and 80s, <laughs> where like, uh, you know, it's it's become sort of like too easy to claim that, you know, you're going to be building some amazing game and whatnot in 10 years from now <laughs> and, and like trying to create like weird, you know, fundraising mechanisms for them, right? So. <laughs> So it, it'll be interesting to see how the space plays out between the legitimate yeah, and, um, uh, legitimate developments and the <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, and a, and a good metric there, uh, you know, for all listeners out there, it's hey, like if this company is not writing any new smart contract code, chances are they're just rebranding something that exists with new market. That's not what innovation is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, now there is, I think. Uh, there's a gaming company, if I'm not mistaken, that's working with um, building on Cadena, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Can, can you guys speak to that? I don't I forget the name of that company. Um, yeah, I think there's a few. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd even take it to, to a level uh, higher than that, which is here at Cadena, we've built technology to take blockchain to the mainstream. Uh, and so one of the things that's going to go to mainstream or certain of is you know the next gen of nfts as paul was saying nfts beyond jpegs nfts with utility um and it's precisely what the marmalade platform allows you to do 
Um, it allows you to build the next generation of NFTs that are truly decentralized. So like going to a use case, you know, the, the use cases for something like this are unlimited. I could go out, I could go on for the rest of the day outlining what you and NFTs of utility look like. But like, let's go to maybe a use case that people are very familiar with, which is, you know, selling an JPEG NFT on OpenSea. Uh, right now, you know, a company like OpenSea doesn't really look like a Web3 or a crypto company to me. It's more like a centralized service. It's more like an eBay that happens to sell crypto goods. Um, and that's because you need to rely on OpenSea to enforce stuff like royalties, price floors, all of these type of things. Right? And what does that mean? It means that ultimately uh, products, companies are going to centralize around OpenSea's APIs and be dependent on their uptime and sort of credibility and not having been hacked, which is exactly what we're trying to escape out of, right? So what's possible with Marmalade is when you go and mint your NFT, whether it's JPEG or video or music or whatever you want to put into it, you can define your own marketplace rules within the NFT. As in, you can put your royalties right in there. You can define a price floor. You can um, even build in a right of first refusal to buy your NFT back or something along those lines. And that's really the centralized P2P commerce where you define what this stuff looks like in the future when you go ahead and mint it. And that's just one of you know, a myriad of use cases uh, for NFTs with real utility built into them. Yeah, this, this trend in terms of um, sort of like the, the initial programmability of the NFT and the initial, I would say, um, sort of like... Um, maybe sovereignty of the NFT, maybe is a better term, where um, the uh, sovereignty of the NFT is set up in such a way that, um, yeah, you aren't tied to a certain marketplace. And a lot of the data for that NFT is not tied to a marketplace. We saw some issues even a month ago with one NFT marketplace where there was sort of like uh, insider trading style shenanigans going on. There was uh, There were problems where you know, some of the um, insiders were basically like skimming and um, also modifying of whitelists and all sorts of these kinds of, you know, <laughs> you know, mayhem. So, yeah, the problem with, uh, like you said, is uh, a lot of the marketplaces today are actually like eBay um, on the blockchain. And, and they're not only very centralized, but, um, uh, you know, like there's a lot of problems for graft and corruption. Um, the other, totally, problem, the other, totally, the other right? strange <laughs> thing is like the other strange thing is Francisco, like in a way, like people sort of want those, some services to be centralized. They presume that like, uh, if you're going to be a, if you're an artist, for example, and you don't know the slightest thing about, uh, deployment, right? Like to some extent, um, when it comes to marketplaces, you're relying on the expertise of the marketplace to help you and to help your business in theory. Um, this is, there's also, you're relying on marketplaces in a way because, you know, a lot of times there are four, you know, few, there are like a few winners in terms of marketplaces and uh, both in, they win in trust and they win from the perspective of the number of people that are selling on that marketplace. eBay would be a perfect example of that. Um, you know, how many, sort of like online auction houses do you use on a regular basis? If you use one, it's probably eBay because it's a mixture of like trust and um, and other sort of like uh, sort of centralization needs that a lot of people feel like they have to have. 
But uh, yeah, the NFT space, I think Marmalade's really interesting in how, um, and I see things like Marmalade being done in other places too. The idea is to sort of like create um, uh, features of the NFT that basically make it more sovereign um, in a yeah. way. But, yeah, uh, you know, just, just to add to that, uh, of course, you know, user experience uh, is key to mainstream adoption, right? So, you know, whatever uh, sort of the service is going to look like for, um, you know, for this to be ready for my mom to use or, you know, someone who's just ever used a regular phone app and doesn't want to get on board with a wallet, that's something that we've thought about in Cadena. So Cadena has this concept of gas stations where uh, it makes it totally seamless to interact with the blockchain um, and because smart contracts can prepay gas for you and you don't even have to connect wallets to front ends, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to start transacting there. So we're, we give full power to builders, entrepreneurs uh, to kind of push and pull that slider of usability and decentralization and kind of put the user um, at a choice of where, hey, like, do you want to uh, connect your own wallet and, you know, use a hardware wallet or use, you know, some wallets where you have your keys? Or do you want to use gas stations um, and make this process a little simpler um, and, you know, trust us with some of the custody of your assets? And that, that comes with both gas stations and native multi-sig into Cadena because it means that you can build custom accounts for people where, you know, you, a user may have to trust a centralized entity but not, not enough that they can never get their assets back because they can always have the key to sign and get it back. Um, so, you know, there are levers to push and pull there, and we're just building the backbone and the groundwork to make all this possible. Yeah, I think the next couple of years, um, there will be sort of in the blockchain space in general, just a heavy, heavy emphasis on um, user interface and usability. Um, the the you can pretty much like make an easy list on most chains like what the friction points are whether it's um you know bringing uh liquidity into a system whether it's you know dealing with hard wallets etc uh there there's a lot of room for innovation there Fran francesco may, maybe you could talk a little bit more about how people are moving from web 2 to web 3 you know my my experience in building billion-dollar Web2 products from scratch at Zynga and other companies uh, does give me that inspiration to make that transition. Certainly did it uh, you know, nine years ago and now very happy to be collaborating with Francesco and Cadena and, and the community out there and uh, enabling others to make that similar transition. But, you know, Francesco, maybe you could talk about Randy and some of the front-end efforts we're, we're doing to, to that point about usability and accessibility. Yeah, of course. So sort of the next big focus for Cadena is uh, we brought on an awesome engineering manager, Randy Dahl, uh, who hopefully all of you will get to know soon, um, who's working on our developer experience um, and getting all the tooling out there to make mainstream adoption possible. You know, the division for uh, what Cadena is going to look like is that it's a blockchain. It's a smart, smart contract language that's accessible to any builder. Uh, you know, this path is easy to pick up. It's easy to read. It's easy to write. Um, so we need to also have the corresponding tooling there to make this accessible to anyone who could code, whether they're entry-level JS programmers or, you know, people with uh, 
PhDs in computer science or something like that, right? And that's currently not possible at all in other platforms where it requires you to write Solidity code that has so many gotchas where you can write bugs or something like Rust, which is you know, certainly a complicated low-level language. And the way that we're going to attract builders from Web 2 to Web 3 is, you know, right now there is something like 20 to 30,000 Solidity developers out of, I think it's 10 to 20 million developers worldwide. We're not going to focus on, you know, convincing those 20 or 30,000 people to jump ship. We have a product that's purpose-built to bring in the other 9,990,000 people over to Kadena. So that's how, you know, we're going to start getting uh, lots and lots of mindshare from developers from any background coming over to Kadena. And it really starts at that level uh, to build these mainstream use cases. Interesting. Um, uh, on, on a slightly different note from the perspective of usability, um, one of the sort of important um, identified um, sort of like financial functions, I would say, in the in the blockchain space or just in, uh, you know, just in finance in general is like this concept of trading and speculation and, you know, the ability to sort of like buy and sell coins and things. And a, a, a major part of that tends to be the ability to access. I mean, I have like a phone call coming in a second there. Sorry. Um, it, one of those issues ends up being kind of like the ability to bring in um, uh, fiat currency into a system. But the other is the ability to kind of like have a state. Do you have a kind of sense of um, the best way to accomplish that with Kadena? Like, I'm not that impressed with um, cross-chain bridges and whatnot there's kind of a strong tendency for problems, um, especially when, um, well, it, there, there's some centralization risk there, but also there's some like worst case scenarios where the, where bridges just don't work correctly within the time that you need it the most. But um, have you guys thought about, um, you know, stable coin providers bringing in like Cadena native um coins like the way uh circle or tether and comes companies like that uh do so for ethereum and um a variety of other blockchains have y'all have you guys thought about that and how, what to, how to handle it? yeah of course you know th this is all this is all in the works you know we're um we're working on all those fronts uh, and all types of safe stable coins that are going to be native to the container network. Okay, so so there is work being done to get native uh, versions, as a, as Definitely. opposed to having to bridge. Because I, I, you know, a big tendency for the last year has been this idea of cross chain bridges and interoperability, uh, and it's not totally clear to me that the the way to bridge is just not through the official stable coins you're already using. Right, like, because <laughs> like jumping from like cross chain assets and whatnot just pose so many pe uh, like uh, issues with um, I would say like price arbitrage risks and whatnot that seem to be problematic, um, and they're not noticeable until like sort of the shit hits the fan, so to speak, and then <laughs> and then they're very much more noticeable. <laughs> hey, Safi, hundred percent agree, and uh, you know cross chain bridges at the infrastructure layer. All, all you're doing is reshuffling current value among 
different layer ones. It, it's almost a negative sum game, you know, and, and, and you get the traders and the arbitragers extracting value from, from that. You know, if, if we're going to build positive sum in Web3, uh, possibly some of the multi-chain integrations happen at the application layer where, you know, there's clear positive sum growth for a specialized layer one to deliver that user value. So, you know, my, my thesis is aligned with what you're describing. If this is a multi-chain world, it, it integrates at the application layer uh, versus at the layer one level. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. Yeah, where and if an application requires more than one chain for some particular use case, um, like that that you know, for example, uh, there might be a data layer use case to connect to like a DAG style network, like a constellation, but you might want um, fast finality and more specific, um, like uh, I, I would say, kind of uh, proof of work blockchain as your like final destination for, uh, you know, dealing with your smart contract layer, for example, that might be sort of an example where you could do both. You could have an application that uses elements of both, or perhaps like uh, a person may need, or a system may need like file storage capability or image storage capability. And that may be done on a slightly different platform if if decentralization is even required for some of those applications. Um, and then, you know, kind of like you, you're, in my view, like the application should dictate like whether or not um, you need certain chains and whatnot, as opposed to just like doing cross-chain just because. 100%. This is how we thought about cross-platform gaming at Zynga. You know, it, uh, players love to play on Facebook, but if if uh, their friends aren't on Facebook or prefer to play on a different platform, we enable that in-game. Another way to think about it would be uh, multi-platform mobile apps. You know, uh, I'm sure part of the community out there is on Android. I'm on iPhone. <laughs> you know, we, we can still text cross-device. And so the, those analogies from an app perspective make a lot more sense for Web3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Francesco, go ahead. Just to add to that too, um, the controversial view is, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, right? Like because mainstream apps, like, do you think like once apps go fully mainstream, whenever that's going to be in some years' time or in some months' time or whenever that is, like, I really doubt that people will be talking about what blockchain their particular app is built on right it should just be a full no-brainer and something is built on that because that's the best technology provider it's similar to the fact that uh you know when you use the internet today are you discussing tcp ip protocols does even know does anyone even know how that works no it's like it's all really about what the use case on top of it is um, and everything else is going to be totally abstracted away from an end user yeah, and I think the, the the blockchain space and all the different activities on it, um, I think people are trying to figure out, uh, number one, like, uh, yeah, what are the use cases? But number two, like, it, do they make money, right? Like, So the, the, a big thing is like your chain, your protocol, whether it's proof of stake, proof of work, at the, at the long range view, the system needs to be financially incentivized to be self-sustaining. 
And um, I think that's where some various types of protocols are falling flat. Um, I think in particular, DEXs have this problem. Maybe you could like speak to that concept of um, like, how do you make some of these program these systems self-sustaining from a financial perspective? Whereas, you know, like many DEXs, for example, have various like, you know, in inflationary rewards and other like, you know, Ponzi-nomics to sort of like get them to work in the beginning, but it, they don't necessarily have a really clear indication that they have a way to sustain over the long run. Um, do you guys have any comments about like how to make some of those uh, sort of like sub-projects that are really important um, financially sustainable in their own right? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's, you know, rewards need to come from sustainable and substantive yield coming from other places. You know, if you have a lending platform, for example, the yield for stakers should be coming from the interest that's paid uh, by people taking out loans. You know, it's like you can think of the business, like similar business models that exist in the financial world today, but with less middlemen. And what does that mean? That means more all the fees and all that profit, it's going to you staking that money, not in service providers taking small fees in between you and the person that's borrowing. You know, I'll, I'll add from the gaming perspective, we, we think of healthy ecosystems as good game design. Uh, you know, uh, players are happy. They're happy to spend money in a game. Uh, th that money goes to further, you know, product innovation and it creates more happiness. So that core loop of money spent creates more happiness, creates more features to create more happiness. Uh, that's a healthy loop. And, and a lot of tokenomics in crypto can, uh, you know, push the boundaries of happiness or user value. And, and therefore, the, those systems are unsustainable. Uh, from the macroeconomics perspective, you could deploy supply and demand of tokens and, and other incentive schemes. Uh, certainly, this is an area that is the frontier of today's innovation. Uh, there are a lot of great ideas around this. Some may fail. Uh, some may succeed tremendously uh, big and, and, you know, I think it's up to us as a community to challenge each other with these uh, ideas, test the limits of what's possible, and and hopefully invent something that's better than Web two. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting problem um, with like permission versus permissionless systems as well. In a permission system, where let's say for example, some sort of community had to vote on the approval of some new protocol. Um, you know, there might be some gatekeeping to decide like what is sort of good enough to be in our ecosystem. And then on the other hand, when you don't have, so in a permissionless, completely public system, anyone can build anything. It could be pure garbage all the way to, um, something amazing. But the problem is I think the, the end user is not necessarily sure, um, due to lack of experience or whatever, uh, what is actually sort of like worth using and what's safe, what isn't, et cetera. Um, right now, Cadena as it stands is basically a permissionless system, correct? Like anyone could deploy anything they wanted at this point? Correct. A okay. fully open public blockchain. Okay, cool. So yeah, just curious how that, um, but do you, so it's essentially like a censorship resistant scenario. Um, whether what's being deployed is good or bad. And that, that gets 
that gets to be tricky at scale. <laughs> so like everyone wants decentralization no, until, something, un- until something bad gets deployed. And then it's like, uh-oh, now what do we do? <laughs> so that's another uh, interesting like um, hazard as time goes on, which is like hard to solve. But, you know, to some extent, like survival of the fittest sort of kills off the, the terrible things to some extent. But hey, there's some horrible stuff on the Internet. Doesn't mean people don't use it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, fully, fully understand. <laughs> but um, yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, the um, uh, I think uh, as we kind of go forward, there are a lot of interesting internet native uh, sort of like products and applications. And I think, um, you know, like leveraging the power of blockchain to do things we otherwise do on the internet, but in, in maybe like a um a slightly different way is sort of like where a lot of the the um current sort of projects i've seen are going um uh, certainly the gaming metaverse angle so like my history of gaming is like pretty long um you know i've been playing with computers since i was a kid in the like late seventies. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting up there now. Um, but, uh, like, uh, one of the, some, some of the like historical context of the gaming industry, um, is like when, uh, when multiplayer online time in, in history, where uh, basically, um, like you could, uh, exchange gold and other objects with people in a video game setting, and you could do that, uh, and that those objects would persist. That value would persist because the the power of the user network gave that those materials sort of value in a sense within the game. Um, long range, though, like in the in what I've seen with gaming is this like concept of trying to create like a play to earn environment, which to me really doesn't make any sense. Like long run, it's all going to be play um, like some kind of work to earn or like create to earn. But the consumer who is being sort of entertained by the game, um, there are only so many uh, scenarios that turn into a, uh, like a sustainable play to earn. And really what it ends up being is really just a type of work. And uh, it, or a, it's actually a type. It's some of the earliest proof of work, actually, if you really think about it carefully, like the mining of gold, et cetera, in video games back in the 90s. Um, and, you know, I, I'm curious to, like, uh, Paul, see, like, where you see, like, the biggest innovations in gaming. Uh, like, how do you create these sustainable systems where, like, people want to live in this space and, like, produce content in this space? and and ultimately, like work to earn, really, quite frankly, right? Like people are going to give you money for free at the end of the day. Uh, lo- love the question about sustainable tokenomics, sustainable sustainable growth. You know, th- this bear market in 2022 has really focused VCs and builders on sustainability. To your question directly, um, if you look at Web two sustainable products. They are generally social networking services, social networks with feed plus user generated content. And so, a good proxy on your long term retention, five, 10 year retention on an addiction or a daily habit is around this endless curiosity you have about the world and about your friends, whether it's through disappearing videos, pins of e-commerce, news on a Facebook feed, you know, educational content on Twitter. And so we, we do have that proxy of what is sustainably uh, 
habitual for consumers. Now, when we apply that to Web3, you can say some of the emerging social Web3 ideas are trying to create similar sustainable daily habits. I'm not a believer that you, you can dislodge the network effects of a TikTok or a Snapchat or Twitter day one. You could certainly, you know, cryptoify, web threeify Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat. So you, you could see those big companies make that migration. Or you could see metaverse or gaming companies. Uh, innovate on those daily habits and create that sustainability. TBD on what that invention is today, that, that's the state of the market. Certainly, we, we have a lot of uh, highly technical people like yourself and, and the community out there uh, innovating on these ideas. And, and th- this is the generational opportunity we are in today. It's very exciting to be on the front lines of hearing these ideas you know, specifically on Kadena, you have uh, UFO gaming, you have the miners of Kadena. These are ideas that are uh, out there trying to improve on Gen 1 of play to earn and and these TBD sustainable economics that we see today. Yeah, you know, it's in the gaming space, it was interesting that um, the kind of objects earned in a gaming space uh only were valuable if that particular game continued to be interesting <laughs> which is which is a fascinating problem so like you know there's a question it's almost like uh gaming is a bit like fashion in a sense that like it kind of comes and goes like you know maybe there's like a you know 5 to 10 year sort of like life cycle and then people have looked at this idea of like transferable value between yep. games but that gets confusing as well because like it's hard to design a game or, or some environment where past assets sort of like can be incorporated into the new game. So the human economic model and the like incentive model for gaming is very, um, it's, it's been somewhat worked out to some extent. I, I think what it is, I think part of the reason why some of the original web two gaming companies you know, your Activisions and, uh, you know, or Microsoft's actually technically they, they sort of acquired a lot of companies that were already doing this stuff, right? Like they didn't even figure it out themselves. They just bought other people. But what happened to these companies, it's interesting that they haven't moved to the crypto space necessarily in mass uh, and quickly. I think they still haven't figured out the business model there exactly. I think uh, and I doubt it's for lack of like thinking about it, because clearly there's a lot of gamers. Uh, there's a lot of uh, people in the the gaming industry who probably themselves understand crypto and 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 use it for different purposes. I, I just think that they haven't figured out the business model yet. So, Safi, it's a classic innovator's dilemma from Clay Christensen. Their their, their current business, their legacy business, is so profitable. Why invest in the disruptive technology? Why why invest in that toy where you know a hundred, two hundred million dollars of cash flow doesn't move the dial on Call of Duty or World of War? Yeah, so there, right. there's a well, there's that, and also there's the there's the idea like the the, the kind of math models that companies like Blizzard use, like you know. Uh, for building a video game like a, a Diablo three or something like that, it's 
there's a tremendous amount of like mathematical modeling that goes into to producing sort of the items and the game content. It's it's actually quite difficult. It's not an easy thing to produce some of those games. And it and it takes them a lot of intellectual property and time to sort of get there. And 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 I think they they it's not that they couldn't incorporate crypto, though. I think they have modeled some of these things and they're the problem still is one of sustainability in my view. And I, I saw this problem happen in multiple game environments in the past where like in-game assets and maintaining the value of them and making people want to continue to want those things has been a tricky thing. So you're, the habit question I think you brought up earlier, like, like what habits are we actually going to sort of like capitalize in that, on in that gaming metaverse uh, environment is very tricky. Like I, another area I was thinking about Long term, you know, if you think of things that you now currently pay for generally, like, for example, medical care. So my background is, a, is as an MD so, and a physician by, by trade. And, um, you know, there is a tremendous amount of scope for bringing sort of like medicine to the world where it's paid for. Um, and finance through like crypto mechanisms. Like I know some of the guys here in this chat and I have talked in the past about like, for example, reinventing all of global healthcare um, using like various crypto and game theoretic models instead of the models that you see today. I think some of those really, really large scale systems are the ones that could be most disruptive, most disrupted, even maybe more so than things like gaming and such. Um, because there are some certain sort of like things you need in life, like for example, healthcare that everyone wants to be more capital efficient with, but can't figure out how to do it. Right. <laughs> so it's, a, that's a big space. I think that, that is ready to be like enter the crypto world in a sense. In service yeah. of saying something controversial too, you know, I, I think the gaming person would say, uh, blockchain today will likely disrupt digital experiences before they uh, disrupt digital plus physical experiences. You know, it, yeah, it, sure. it's, it, you know, it's and, and so it's way easier. And it's not to uh, disagree with that uh, uh, comment you made, but it's, it's a matter of market timing. And, and you know, so we're, we're likely to see blockchain disrupt music, other forms of media content, including gaming. And so the, those three, uh, industries map much more similarly. Uh, a, a data piece captured in NFTs needs a context, to your point. <laughs> what, what's the virtual world that that NFT and that data sits in? 99% of the content out there pops and drops. It, it perishes over time. You know, Top Gun 2 leading box office uh, uh, winner over the holiday weekend. You know, that thing perishes over you know, two weeks, three weeks in theaters, then it goes to cable, then it goes to streaming. But over four years, it, it perishes over time. Um, it, it, you know, there, there are very few franchises that survive that test of time. And so generally, as a digital content uh, uh, leader. You, you, <laughs> Actually, you, I, think, I, think we, I, I think we call the ones that survive religion. <laughs> that, that, that's true. I that's, mean, pretty much, right? True. Cult, cult-like status. That's right. Yeah, it's like it's, you've got to have it. It's so ingrained into your way of being and way of life that you you just there's literally a different name for it at that point. That's which right. is interesting. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, so on the gaming yeah. front, like all the stuff that you guys are saying, actually, I've 
funny story from a game developers conference that I went to uh, some weeks ago. Uh, you know, we found some other people that were prominent in the blockchain space talking to diehard um, game studios and game developers. And they were going like, hey, with blockchain, you can all of a sudden uh, be in a metaverse. And gamers like, uh-huh. And you can have these items in your game and you can own them. And people are like, uh-huh. And you can interact with other people playing this game. I'm like, uh-huh. We have all of that stuff already, right? So, <laughs> so like, <laughs> yeah, right. And like, uh, you know, we've had that stuff for a while. So like, I think, you know, what's going to move the needle is solving real pain points for people, right? And, like, you know, like, for example, in gaming, like what I could identify as the real pain points is, hey, I've invested all my sort of, time and you know spare time and energy into playing this game to make these items and to you know build these things that have value in our network but all of a sudden the studio could decide that this game is no longer profitable and shut it down that's a real problem for gamers right and like so you know what what is the solution there maybe it looks like the first successful games that use blockchain are just it looks like a regular game it just happens to be controlled by a DAO that decides when to close this game or not. So the users actually own what's going on and not, you know, centralized entity that's fully focused on profit. Yeah, the, the theoretical Web3 sort of like achievement is that you own a part of the network. Uh, and it's sort of like at, at its core, a disruption of like traditional securities models. Like instead of you owning a piece of the stock of say, you know, Activision or Microsoft or somebody, you instead own a piece of the direct product at some point. Right. Maybe, maybe uh, like in a theoretical world, uh, you also have some, like, um, uh, you, you you sort of shape the destiny of that product at some some level as an individual. And that yeah. that feels like a powerful idea, but it, it, it hasn't fully, like, clearly materialized in a, I think, in the most, like, <laughs> Uh, utopian way that people think about it, and maybe it's not possible to be like fully materialize it, but um, I think that's the vision at least. For co sure, co um, co game development mods, you know, skins, uh, you know, selling virtual goods uh, as a third party in a game. You know, think of Etsy for uh, a gaming platform. The, the, these are new use cases that are enabled by blockchain and. And, you know, very promising for financial empowerment for creators to participate yes. this way. Yeah, I think, the, I think, Paul, you're right. Like, what I'm thinking is, is that the most powerful piece of this is the pay to create. The, uh, uh, Love it. Being paid Absolutely. to create. Absolutely. So, for example, I have a really, really great, um, you know, game architecture. And, you know, like, we don't have to rely on the sort of corporation because if you have a toolkit to build additional, say, levels or items and things, then a creator can then take that ball and run with it, make an entire mod, like you said, and then figure out, like, maybe there's a good way to monetize that space um, by you being a creator now providing entertainment uh, for, for the people that are playing in that space. And then, therefore, you get a piece of that pie. Whereas um, right now, with the, the traditional Web2 games, most of them, if not uh, the vast majority, 
the creators for all sorts of interesting mods, content, story content, they're not getting paid anything. Uh, they're doing it sort of out of the goodness of their heart because they're just hardcore like gamers and whatnot. But there is a huge amount of like, uh, uh, I, there's a huge amount of content that could ultimately be unleashed by those folks who could monetize that. Um, and it, 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 the current um, sort of uh, ethos is not to allow that to happen for whatever reasons. Um, and I think anyone who's played any of their favorite games have noticed this problem where, um, like, on the one hand, you like it because that content's free. On the other hand, you'd like a lot more of that content and you'd be perfectly willing to pay the amount of money that, like, they charge you for other content. Um, and uh, it's, it's an obvious, like, place to unlock, uh, unlock uh, I guess, creative uh, energy. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, we kind of went off the beaten path here a little bit, but I think we kind of. We're, we're getting into kind of like the subject of the, the, the type of things that will be interesting on blockchain, those things that um, will be interesting about NFTs. Cadena, uh, like you said, was doing interesting things with the, the NFT base layer, so to speak, with Marmalade. Um, and like the idea is to basically sort of empower the next generation of creators uh, to build cool stuff on Cadena. So I think right now, uh, the way I see this ecosystem is it's still super um, early as a operating system, if we want to call it that. And um, we're, you know, like the progress is to basically get um, uh, more people wanting to build on the platform. And that brings the, ultimately the users. Um, any other statements, guys, about where we're going and what... Um, I don't know. Any other alpha about Cadena happening lately? Yeah, of course. So, um, you know, a few weeks back, uh, we announced a $100 million grants program um, to get all the best builders on Cadena um, and support them every step of the way. Um, a couple of weeks back, we announced that we're reserving 10% of that $100 million, so $10 million for all builders affected by, you know, what happened um, in the past few weeks or so you know we understand that this you know and what's obvious having been through at least one bear market myself as a builder uh we want to encourage people to build now and not give up because the reality of facts is that game-changing companies have been historically built during bear markets uh, so you know we're here to support people um anyone who wants to build you know through this market and beyond because uh, now is the time to lean in now is the time where you know you have enough headspace and not too many things going on where you can really think of and build the mainstream use case because heads up building the mainstream use case is going to be a lot of work because it probably doesn't look like anything that's already out there today um yeah the diff the difficult projects are yet to be built i think um yeah, I would tend to agree with you there. <laughs> a lot of and if they're being out. built, they're very far from being released. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, that's probably true as well. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of the stuff that's out there now is fairly basic from a Web two standard, um, w without question. Um, I think Machina had a question here. Uh, Machina, you want to hop up? And hey guys, uh, I've been really enjoying your conversation. Uh, lots of cool info. Um, I was just wondering uh, if you guys 
think that the recent events with uh, Luna do uh, in any way impact uh, the global adoption of crypto? Do you see that, you know, happening in any way? Paul or Francesca, comments? Um, yeah, uh, I could take it. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, like public sentiment is something that Sefi mentioned at the beginning of the call. Public sentiment is potentially going to change. Uh, you know, lots of people lost lots of money, and that's not okay. Uh, but, you know, as I was saying before, this is the time to build paradigm shifting companies. All big companies that have been during a bear market. And, you know, Paul could maybe go further into it, but, you know, the capital, the vast majority of smart venture capital is still pouring into the blockchain space because everyone recognizes that this is a game changing sector and it's what's going to power our, li- our digital lives 10, 20, 40, 50 years down the line. You know, for, from my perspective, great, great question. Uh, the Luna event in the past few weeks has been unfortunate for a lot of builders and users. Uh, uh, The vast majority of those conversations I've been having is uh, a story of resilience. Uh, We're seeing a lot of people either just take a break or double down and, and work harder. Uh, It's that mindset of building back stronger that I've been so honored to be a part of. Uh, This is one of, you know, top 10 events in crypto history, uh, you know, being in the space since 2013, I, I thought other events would have uh, stopped crypto adoption to your question. Uh, they hadn't. We, we always, as an industry, came back stronger. Uh, we're seeing the same thing happen with Luna right now. We're, we're not seeing adoption slow down. We're seeing uh, the, the collateral damage be localized, so there's not contagion across the whole ecosystem. Obviously, prices aren't reflective of the adoption going on right now, and therefore, that logic leads to what Sefi and Francesco were saying earlier, now's the best time to build. Uh, less distortions in our ecosystem, healthier mindsets around building healthy ecosystems, responsible innovation to put in guardrails for uh, this innovation and product use cases for retail traders such that you know, people don't get burned. And that that's not the intention of any well-intentioned VC or innovator in this space. We're, we're all playing this long game. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, having been around... Uh, the tech universe long enough, you know, soldering things since I was a little kid. Um, <laughs> I would say that like, uh, I'll, I'll, there's been like a lot of wreckage in the tech space over the long term. This is not just true of crypto. Like if you were a Nokia stockholder, you're not particularly happy today if you bought the top or whatever. So, you know, you're also not happy if you, you know, were there when you had Apple stock and, you know, you know, all hell broke loose and, and, you know, Steve Jobs gets the boot. And then eventually, if you guys remember him coming back, um, you know, I just remind people that the rest is history, right? Like, so the people that continue to sort of like attack problems and fix them, um, you know, ultimately thrive. And like, I, I cannot just, I just can't describe to you how many people thought um, Steve Jobs was a straight up scam artist and whatnot. And the, the whole language 
around. You know, so when price goes down, everyone's pissed. That's just how it works. <laughs> and uh, there will be experiments that fail completely. There were like dozens, and I, I, I'm not kidding, dozens of like um, makers of various like personal computing type technologies that, you know, uh, came about, came and disappeared. Anyone who was around during the eighties and nineties would, would attest to that. Um, and I don't think that's going to be any different with the crypto space, regardless of how interesting you think some projects are or whatever, you know, some are going to unfortunately do a lot worse than you think. And some that you think are not that interesting, uh, maybe creating some of the most uh, mind bending sort of like world changing, uh, paradigms that you just aren't even thinking about right now. So it's it's, it's interesting to watch the space. Um, let me get uh, Kadena Life here, uh, who was asked, waiting to ask a question. Go ahead, man. Hey guys, how's it going? So um, first of all, yeah, I'm I'm so glad to be a part of this of this ecosystem, and the community is amazing, and everything that is being done is amazing. But apart from that, you know, you guys mentioned earlier about joining the physical with the crypto world, and our project is very much about that. Um, basically, uh, <laughs> we met with a lawyer to try to connect NFTs to, to fine art. Um, and, um, they told us, no, it can't be done. And that was their, the big no in Argentina, it cannot be done, but we're not taking no for an answer. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we also know that in Wyoming, you might be able to do it in Brazil where we're talking to some people to, to make it happen. But, but here's, here's the crazy thing. Incidentally, I told them about PACT. I said, you guys. There's this new programming language that you guys can be trained to learn how to read. And these lawyers looked at each other because they know about crypto. They're, they're crypto lawyers. And they looked at each other because they, they hadn't heard of PAC. And um, to make a long story short, we, I was going to do an art show for Miriam, and it's, and it's turning into something much, much bigger. We're doing now a, a, a Cadena conference here in Rosario. Um, we're having Nick from... Um, from Acadix talk, Alex Benalche, and also uh, Andre from Hypercent talk. This they're going to do a Zoom call. We're doing a big, huge LED screen, and basically, the people are hungry for this. Um, and and Pact has a way to really join the physical with the um, the crypto world because if you can make a language that that a lawyer can understand or be trained to read. Or a politician, or, gov- or a government official, or a CEO, it's a game changer. And and so I can't tell you this thing is blowing up, and it's and it's becoming. There's a lot of buzz in the city about it. And I think um, I would like to get more information about, you know, how long would it take for a lawyer to learn PAC, so I can use that in this talk that we're doing. Yeah, I mean, sort of the most comparable thing uh, you can compare it to more than a programming language. Uh, well, actually, first of all, let me take a step back. What you just said there is awesome, man. <laughs> like, that's so great to hear. Um, glad that you're doing this. You know, let us know if you need anything from us, et cetera, et cetera. But that's great, great news. Um, and it's exactly the type of reaction we're trying to get from people that are clued into crypto. But back to answering the question, um, you know, the, the most similar thing that you can compare it to um, is not a programming language, but it's something that's actually more similar to writing a macros in Excel. You know, you don't need to write, um, you don't need to be a programmer to be able to learn that. It's just a skill set that's, you know, available to all that want to put in the time um, and learn these types of things. Um, And why is that? Because, you know, if we go back to what sort of history of PACT is, 
is that Pact uh, was inspired uh, by Stuart Popejoy's work at JP Morgan, uh, where he built a lot of their trading backbone systems, et cetera. Uh, but it was to solve a particular pain point where, um, you know, there were sales traders that were in touch with clients uh, who wanted custom algorithms for their trades. And the turnaround time for that uh, used to be weeks, if not months, to get, um, you know, a, cu- a customer customized algorithm. So what Stuart came up with was this language that enabled sales traders to write their own code and get it out to clients in days. Um, because it was simple to write and simple to read, but more important than all, the same way as Pact, it was impossible to break the system, right? It was just designed in a way where if someone wrote back code, uh, it wouldn't blow up the whole bank system, right? Which is very similar to Pact's concept of having formal verification and being Turing complete and delivering only the tools that people need for the particular use case of blockchain. Yeah, I, I think the, that key, that key feature is. Uh... That, that delivering only what's needed for a blockchain specific application. Um, and then once you do that, like you, you solve some of the looping problems and whatnot that can, that can transpire and cause problems. But um, yeah, Cadena Life, did that kind of cover what you were getting at or uh, were yeah, you looking yeah, for that, like that, more that specific resources? No, that, that's, that's a great, because then I could, I could you know, myself, I, don't, I, I was going to start learning uh, PAC. I've been with Cadena for a while now. And, and this, this, um, this project has just uh, completely engulfed my time, but it is my intention to, to go through the tutorials and read and be more, more knowledgeable about it. But I'm not going to be pop- talking about PAC. Uh, Nicholas will be talking about PAC. And Ryan Matta, who just wrote, he's also going to talk, um, he just wrote a smart contract with an eight-year-old kid. That's powerful. He's going to talk as well about that. And, and Francesco, you said if there's any way you can help, I got to tell you, I need someone to talk about the Cadena grant. I can do it. I'm, that was, I was going to do that, but it would be better if someone from the Cadena ecosystem would speak on that. And I need one more spot. So if, if you're down on June 22nd, let me know for a Zoom call. <laughs> I'll, I'll take you up on, on what you said earlier that if there's anything you can do to help. I need one more speaker. I can't on June 22nd. I'm sorry. No worries. No worries. I That's my I'll first. I t- I'm taking that week off of work. It's been two years, so I think I deserve it. <laughs> no worries. Take take that week off, and uh, I'll do my best if I can't find anyone. Either way, it's great. You guys, the the grant. Uh, what's going to happen from here to a year and a half with this ecosystem? We're going to get at least two thousand quality, well funded projects launching the Cadena. If 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 we don't see the future of this, there's no vision. You know. Yep. Good comments. Uh, let me see here. We're kind of running sort of like late here, so I think. Uh, Paul had to drop off, but um, Francesco, feel free to stay as long as you can. Uh, Gavinsky uh, has a question or comment. Yeah, I've got. I I can stay until the half hour mark, and then I got to jump off for a call. Sure thing. Uh, Gavinsky, and then Australia. What's up? Okay, Paul. You know, I've been a big fan of Cadena. I think the tech is an amazing. But one of the main concerns that investors have is the reluctance to invest uh, in marketing. And how do you feel about that? Uh, maybe mute your mic a sec because you got some background noise. But uh, Francesco, any comments regarding the, the kind of the marketing angle or whatever? We're not shillers. We stand by our tech and this is what we're doing. You know, our, 
Uh, you know, as you've noticed, there has been a ramp up in what we do, um, and it's all going in the right direction. Uh, you will never, ever, ever find us shilling content like other people do. We do, we do not think that's the right thing to do. Yeah, sort of advertising has its pros and cons. Um, one con of advertising, Gavinsky, is you will see sometimes uh, advertising lead to like more aggressive like price action of assets, but that's not always a good thing compared to sort of like the natural um, growth of like asset values. And, um, uh, and it, you know, like take, for example, the avalanche people, they've got, you know, like billboards in New York City and whatnot, trying to uh, capture some of the Wall Street crowd's imagination or what have you. And, um, you know, that's interesting from a more short, short term angle. But as you'll notice, if you look at the, 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 the top of the price of the avalanche token and where it is now, you know, the, the advertising did not help, like, <laughs> prevent that, that drop in the market. So, uh, you know, you might actually make the market cycles way more, like, aggressive and even more volatile, which might be fun for a while, but it's not necessarily fun for the, the folks that see the advertisement and buy at the top or whatever. So <laughs> I think uh, there's, a, there's always a double-edged sword to the advertising angle, especially if the the advertising doesn't specifically lead to um, applications that people are going to use as opposed to like, hey, come buy my token or something like that, right? So I think the the key is if there's something worth advertising, it will it will manifest itself in the protocols and and dApps and whatnot that are built on the ecosystem more than likely. Um, so it, when there's something worth advertising, I'm sure someone will. <laughs> so it's important to kind of like uh, think through that. And also advertising can be a, a tremendous amount of like monetary expense, which may not always be the best avenue for uh, certain tech companies and, and tech adventures. It just depends on the situation. So anyway. Um, well, certainly when it comes to these kind of billboard ads in New York or whatever, it's just insane in my opinion. <laughs> That's not good advertising spend, I think, at the moment for most of these companies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the different different groups have done different things for their um, trying to like catch eyeballs, right? Like, because it it is important in a sense. You're not wrong, Gavinsky. Like, it it's not like marketing has no relevance, um, but striking that balance is is quite difficult. Um, and uh, it's up to individual tech companies essentially to figure out if that's worth it. Um, or if it's be that money is better spent, say in development, for example. Yeah, and then the other thing, and the other thing not to forget is, you know, people have short memories with respect to what happened in two thousand, two thousand and one, where you read something, myidea.com everywhere, right? How many of those people are still around? Yeah, yeah very sure. true. I, I, remember <laughs> I remember the dot com bubble. That was it's almost like an inverse signal of what you want it to be. I was there as well. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's also why having spaces like this and discussing the technology during times when the market is down actually is the most useful time to be talking, uh, not necessarily when the market is totally frothy, right? So that's kind of the idea of like, continuing discussions like this where in the blockchain space when everything is not perfect, right? That actually takes mm -hmm. a lot more uh, sort of courage in a sense <laughs> to face the music and like, you know, explain to people uh, uh, what's going on while, they're, while their supposed assets are down in value, right? So 
Um, Australia, cool. uh, did you have a uh, I, I have a hard stop in a couple of minutes. So if we sure could do a quick one, that would be great. Yeah, thanks, Francesco. Yeah, Thank you so much. Australia, did you have a comment, question? Uh, yeah, thanks for the space, guys. Um, two questions. So I uh, hope you're familiar with League of Legends. Do you ever see there being a sort of third-party place where people upload content, um, as in graphics for a character on a game, um, through Marmalade, I would assume, um, and then seeing that sort of market thrive? And the second one, um, keeping an evolving beast evolving, um, the tokenomics um, put into upcoming projects. Do you ever see a space where half a percent or one percent of tokenomics could be dedicated to going back to Kadena Eco to evolve the system? Um, that's pretty much it, Jez. Hey, yeah. So, you know, what you mentioned is certainly possible. And we are talking and working with some gaming companies that are thinking of doing similar things. Going back to what we were saying before, you know, I'm a strong believer that, you know, the adoption of blockchain and gaming you know, gaming is not a broken industry, right? It's something that people want to play and that people, millions, if not billions of people enjoy every day. So it's going to come first at the periphery um, to solve real pain points. And these pain points for me are that a studio can decide to shut down a game anytime. Um, and that also translates to, hey, a uh, studio can get rid of your items that you bought, right? So like making these things NFTs that uh, will stay around forever. Um, is a huge use case. And, you know, in terms of tokenomics for giving back to Kadena Eco, you know, if projects wants to do it, want to do that, uh, we're not going to be opposed, but we'd most likely be giving that all back to the community. Uh, we're very well-funded, well-capitalized, and our biggest asset is, uh, you know, the collective ability of our team over monetary. Yeah, like the, the thing I'd like to see built Australia, if if someone would build it, is um the uh sort of like uh, a, a game where basically your the game is act, the game developers actually simply build the toolkits the toolkits then allow you to create levels and stories and items and all of that stuff that happens within the game um and i, I don't think in my mind anyone has built the perfect version of that yet by perfect, uh, my my definition is pretty uh, extensive, <laughs> but uh, I've been waiting for something like that to be created since really, I would say the 1980s almost. Uh, if I had to really think back long and hard, um, and the idea is that like you you create a system whereby the content creators they're empowered to just sort of go crazy, right? And then like that would create an, an entire ecosystem of its own that um, could be monetized by the creators. That would be pretty amazing. Anyway, that's Yeah, and, and stay tuned. Uh, there is something internal that we're considering to start jump-starting all these exciting. efforts. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, I'll take this time to really thank everyone for their time, for tuning in. Uh, we're always around. You can reach us. Please do um, apply or refer other great companies to apply for grants on cadena.io slash grants. Follow us on Twitter. Join our Discord. Uh, you know we're here to hear you out. Yep, great conversation, guys. And uh, if I didn't catch anyone with questions, uh, we're sort of running out of time anyway. So we'll catch you guys next time. Uh, Jeff, thanks for having us all on. Safi, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. And yeah. a big thank you from Paul too. Who had to drop off. Oh yeah, sure thing, guys. We'll do it again. Thanks. Would love to. Bye. Catch you later. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Ether. That was the CFI Space Cadena Dev Team with Paul and Francesco. 
recorded on Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. For Terraspaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. And if you want to keep listening, head on over to Terraspaces.org slash donate and show some support. They say rapping is the gateway, bringing home great pay, checking that replay, sing along and we say nobody gives a fuck around my way. I make about three bucks for every thousand plays, so add it up and do the math on that. Financially speaking, why the fuck would anybody want to rap? But in this reality, the money comes from doing shows, but then where's the money go when you can't do the shows? I guess you could rap on Cameo, I've been asking all my friends if I can rap on the patio. Six feet, motherfucker, step the fuck back, doing a little magic, pulling rabbits out the rucksack. Not everybody's always in it for the money, looking like another crooked Sunday and I'm working Monday. So you know I ain't stressing, left debating great methods, amazed to play Inception, the base state blessed. See, even with these huge sums of overall royalties, huge sums of money that go to the record label per playback can seem insultingly small. small. Many rights holders are making around three quarters of a cent each time he listens to one of their tracks, leaving only some portion of that for the actual artist. And say they're making pennies, pennies, pennies per play. Until they can figure out how to turn a profit, their future will always be in question. But for now, investors see enough potential to continue to fund pennies, 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 pennies per play. Another day, another lesson. Living in the eighth dimension might be worth a little mention. Living in the Great Depression got a real regal feel. Reeling in another sucker fish out to make a deal just to make a motherfucker wish. Aw shit, now you only got two left. You know what I wish? We didn't have any loose ends. You know what I miss? Listening to excuses. Now we're on the fence like we forgot how to choose. That's what happens when people don't know what's true. In the dark, eating bullshit up like a mushroom. In the lunchroom, just trying to laugh it off. Meanwhile, foaming at the mouth like a rabid dog. Like a fake mate and call at the zoo. It's looking like the view is getting disappointed too. I'm working on the new shit, trying to produce it. It's what I'm willing to go through when I'm making my music. Imagine a world in which an old dying man's last dying wish is fulfilled. Alexa, can you play that one sci-fi space where he clowned all the Safe Moon and XRP bag holders and then told everyone to buy Luna because it was going to a thousand? I'm, I'm confused why we're not talking about the fact that you can easily like. 300x your money on XRP. Like, you know, I was son, at the I remember a time. Alexa, enough. I'm trying to reminisce now. I remember a time before Terra Spaces existed when things that were said on random Twitter spaces would just get lost to the proverbial black hole of time. Time. That's the best bet. Uh, why isn't Luna in wind turbines? Hey, guys, I'm reading all about these wind guys, turbines. Guys, do you mind if I explain Cardano a little bit? Because I've been in Cardano since like 2018, and I can give you a full breakdown. Um, Just when you thought it was safe to shill shit coins. Oh my god, you guys. I don't know what to do. So much blood. It's so red. From the creators of Your Exit Liquidity, in association with We All Love to Hear Ourselves Talk, Inc.
For more information, go to terraspaces.org slash donate. Terraspaces. Spaces.